This summer, uh, we've been preaching uh, selections from the Psalms, in particular uh, from Book 2. And so today we'll continue that. We'll look at Psalm uh, 62. Uh, Before I read it, I I did want to say just a couple things about this word, Selah, that you see in verse 4 and verse 8 there. I'm somewhat hesitant to give you all a a Hebrew lesson uh, before the sermon even starts. It may not be the best way uh, to keep your attention, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you, you guys have probably seen this word before, and maybe you've wondered uh, what it's, why it's there. You've noticed that some people read it. Some people seem uh, to skip over it. So I just wanted to tell you why I'm going to read the psalm uh, in a particular way. Selah is a Hebrew word that's just left untranslated. So there's not really a consensus about what the word means. Uh, some scholars think it's somehow connected to music, that it was there to to tell them to change instruments, that it might be there for like a musical interlude uh, or possibly just to turn up the volume. I guess they didn't turn up the volume, but to change the volume, no dials in the ancient world. Um, But others think it could have been there just, uh, just to tell the reader to pause and reflect on what was just said. Uh, What people agree on though, is that Selah is a notation. So it's like a quotation mark or a dash. Uh, it tells you how to read the sentence, but you don't say it out loud. You don't, you don't say semicolon uh, when you see one. Uh, so I'm not going to read Selah. Just wanted to tell you why. Now, hopefully uh, you're not too distracted. Uh, if you can stick with me, uh, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. This is Psalm 62. We do have it printed for you there uh, in your bulletin. You can follow along. Uh, this is God's holy, inspired, uh, and inerrant word. Psalm 62. To the choir master, according to Jedithon, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes On robbery, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Father, uh, we pray that you would... Uh, Be with us now as we consider your word together. We pray that you would uh, speak to us, uh, that by your spirit uh, you would press these things down uh, into our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in what uh, do you uh, place your trust? Uh, my family and I visited a place called Fort Pulaski a couple years ago. It sits between Savannah and Tybee Island. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to visit there, but they've got a nice little tour. You can go on. You can get a little history of how the fort uh, developed and what happened to it over the years. Uh, but apparently, it took about 18 years uh, to build Fort Pulaski. It cost almost a million dollars in the 1800s. It had brick walls uh, that were 11 feet thick. And when it was finished in 1847, uh, the only artillery that could actually uh, break these walls uh, couldn't get close enough uh, to hit the fort because of its location, because it was on an island. So it was considered essentially impenetrable. Uh, Robert E. Lee said that one might as well bombard the Rocky Mountains as Fort Pulaski. As far as the U.S. Army was concerned, uh, there was no safer uh, man-made structure on earth. And then in 1862, uh, the James Rifled Cannon had been developed, and those same walls could now be reached from five miles away. And in just 30 hours, uh, Union cannons were able uh, to breach one of the walls and force the surrender of Fort Pulaski. So in less than two days... It went from indestructible uh, to obsolete uh, just 15 years after it was completed. Uh, Fort Pulaski and basically all brick forts uh, were now useless. So in what do you uh, place your trust? Uh, Do you have a a Fort Pulaski uh, or two uh, in your life? Not not a real fort, of course, but some uh, impenetrable uh, hope. Something that you have convinced yourself is indestructible. uh, Something uh, that you believe could not possibly uh, fail you. It could be uh, a career path that you have designs on. It could be a particular friendship or maybe your own uh, reputation. Uh, The world is full of promises to protect you. Uh, Things that promise Uh, To be there uh, forever, but that can collapse uh, overnight. Much quicker, much quicker than you could imagine. Uh, For myself, I've discovered that I'm I'm not even always aware of the things that I'm putting my trust in until they fail me. Uh, It's not until they let me down. It's it's when the resources run dry uh, that I realize Uh, where I've been placing my confidence. But it's God's kindness to us uh, to take these things away. As he uh, reveals our idols to us and allows them to collapse, uh, it's it's when the fortress falls apart uh, that we can begin uh, to see clearly. You see, I I already know uh, that I'm supposed to trust God. And you do too. Uh, But it it is hard Uh, It's the kind of thing that we need help uh, learning. In the several Psalms leading up to Psalm 62, David is under some uh, significant and specific distress, and he needs uh, protection. In Psalm 56, he's been captured by the Philistines. In Psalm 57, he's hiding uh, from his own king Saul in a cave. And in Psalm 59, his own house is being watched by Saul's men. 
And we get to Psalm 62, it's a little less clear uh, whether David is writing under some present pressure or or just the knowledge uh, that there's always going to be pressure. There's always going to be some suffering, uh, some effects of the fall that he's going to have to contend with. But what is clear is that David has learned to have great confidence in God. He's learned to place his trust in him and to trust in him alone because of who God is. Uh, He knows that he can put all his hopes in him, uh, that he can have the utmost confidence that God uh, will never have a breached wall. And so it's true. uh, It's true that that you should uh, trust God. Uh, But instead of just sort of telling you to trust harder, or to have more faith uh, for the next half hour or so, uh, I'd like us just to see what it looks like as we learn to put our trust uh, in God alone. And if, if you find that difficult, uh, most, most of us do, how is it that we get uh, from here to there? How do we get uh, from a weak faith uh, to this unbending confidence uh, uh, that David seems to have? Uh, so we'll just look at two things. Just two things. We'll look at first what David learned about God and then secondly how he learned it. Okay? What David learned and how he learned it. So what, what had David learned about God by the time he gets to Psalm 62? We have, we have to start here uh, and there's just so much that, that we could talk about. We just want to zero in on a few things. Uh, first, uh, David learned about the safety uh, that is found uh, in God. This is the kind of thing uh, that's easy to say, but it's so big. Uh, It's hard to describe. He he calls it salvation. He calls it hope. And these are are true descriptors, but they can feel a little bit distant. So David uses these metaphors. He says God is a rock and a fortress and a mighty rock and a refuge. And even those things, uh, we can get so used to hearing them uh, that we skip over uh, their real significance. I mean, I have never been in a cave while someone is chasing me and trying to kill me. But I've been in a man cave. Um, you, you guys know what a man cave is. Uh, it's a place that promises comfort and safety. It promises the peace that surpasses understanding, uh, where all your needs are met. And no one needs you. You know, God uh, does not need you. Uh, what, what David is saying here is that God has afforded him the highest uh, degree of protection. You see, see, David, he had been in caves. Uh, he had hidden as his own king uh, was chasing him, uh, trying to get rid of him. But here in 62, he's not just telling us that God is like those caves. He's saying that God is so much better than those caves. He gives us protection when we don't even know that we need it. Uh, Most of us don't really live our lives uh, considering uh, daily threats. That doesn't mean they don't exist. Uh, We all live... Uh, with different kinds of threats. Some of them are more serious uh, than others. Uh, we live with the threat of sickness and death. 
There's the threat of disappointment and failed hopes, the threat of financial ruin or unemployment, the threat of insignificance and loneliness, uh, the threat of being found out. And examples uh, could be multiplied. These, these are all uh, real threats uh, that are just around the corner for us and without a place to call our refuge. Uh, whether these things ever come to pass or not, uh, we live with the knowledge uh, that they might. And so David, David says that God uh, is his rock, not only in retrospect. He, he's not saying God was my refuge that one time when things got crazy. He's saying that God is a rock in the face of his ever-present threats. And those things may never go away, but God will be there. Uh, He is so much more than a rock. He is the maker of the rocks. And as Job says, he removes the mountains and they know not how. This is the God that David is considering. But notice he's not just he's not just a rock. David says he is my rock. Uh, the safety uh, that he's found can be found in God because David has learned that God is for him. And this is so important. This this is the difference uh, between David and Saul. This is the difference between Moses and Pharaoh, it's, it's the difference between knowing information about God and actually knowing him. God is not just a rock. He is David's rock. All that he is, he is for David. Now, Fort Knox is a safe place, so I hear. Uh, but it is safe for someone else's gold. It has nothing to do with me or you. Or at least not with me. Uh, This is what James means when he says the demons believe, uh, but they shudder. Uh, You can have all your facts straight about who God is, but they don't believe that God is for them. Do you believe that God is really for you? Uh, Do you wonder why has he done the things that he has done? Uh, in your life? Why has he allowed these things uh, to take place? David's also learned that God is the source of all power and all love. God is his rock. Uh, He says he's my rock, and these things are true because he's the source of power and love. And both of these things, both power and love, are impressive on their own. But together, Together, they give us a picture of God's absolute, complete, and total sovereignty that's joined with his mercy and his kindness and his patience and his goodness. I I could be wrong, but my hunch is that God's power, or at least least some version of it that you understand, uh, is probably easier uh, to believe. It's easier to get your mind around it. God is God. God's the maker of all things, uh, but it's his steadfast love, and particularly this love paired with his power, uh, that is difficult. It can be hard for us to understand. 
The idea here behind this word steadfast love, uh, it's the love of God that is rooted in his absolute commitment to himself and to his promises. So God's steadfast love, it is a love that endures. It's a love that is true because God is true to himself. And so what does this have to do with trusting God? Well, David had learned that the all-powerful creator God also enjoys making and keeping his promises. You see, David, he needed to know that God would come through for him. Uh, This is the same King David who wrote Psalm 51, uh, the king who killed uh, to get what he wanted. And he didn't just need protection from his enemies. Uh, He needed protection from himself. He needed God to forgive him for his guilt, and he needed God to be so dependable that even David's own weak flesh uh, couldn't mess up God's plan. By the time he writes Psalm 62, he's learned that God is both all-powerful, he does as he pleases, and he is completely committed to using that sovereignty to show forth uh, his love. He's true. He's dependable. There is nothing more dependable. And so he can say, come what may, uh, my God is full of power and love. Uh, John Calvin, uh, John Calvin wrote, the man who disciplines himself to the contemplation of these two attributes, which ought never to be dissociated in our minds from the idea of God, is certain to stand erect and immovable under the fiercest assaults of temptation. But easier said than done, right? Uh, Welcome to the club. Uh, Living by faith is hard. Uh, Not only can we not see God, but we can't really see what he's doing or how he's going about his business. And even when we Even when we do get a glimpse of what he's up to, he's just not doing what you would have done if you were God. God is working out a plan for all of history, and in his steadfast love, he's seen fit to draw you into that plan. And my thoughts are, well, what is he doing? I would never have done that. But he's God. And in his patience, uh, he doesn't leave us behind when we complain about how he set things up. Uh, But he he brings us along. He mounts you up on eagle's wings, uh, even when you don't even know it. About uh, 10 years ago, uh, Nan and I, my wife and I, we were going through a really difficult time uh, financially. I was in a sales job working 100% commission and roughly seven years in, I was, I was supposed to be to the point where things were beginning to work and get better every year, but the bottom uh, just completely uh, dropped out for me. Uh, there, there were times when, when it felt like God uh, was withholding sales. I'm, I'm sure that's just how I interpret it. Um, but what I do know is that I was not making any money. 
Uh, I was scared and embarrassed uh, and uh, depressed. And I, I would never, ever uh, go through that again on purpose. Uh, but what I learned, what I learned then uh, was not that if I waited long enough, God would eventually do what I wanted. Uh, he didn't. Uh, he did not do what I wanted. Uh, but I learned that he was with me, uh, that he was for me. And, and at a time that seemed very hopeless to me, I learned that God was more committed to his promises uh, than I was. Uh, that he wouldn't let me go. So David, what he's telling us here is that he has learned uh, very simply that God is trustworthy. Uh, he wrote these things uh, so that others could sing them, so that they could learn to trust God too. And, and the Holy Spirit, he wants you uh, to learn these things. Not just to say that God is trustworthy, but to embrace it, uh, to live like it's true, and to really expect it. And so we need to look at how David actually learned these things. Again, there's so much that could be said. We'll, we'll look at just, just a couple ways that David uh, learned uh, to find God trustworthy. Well, first, uh, David learned to wait in silence. See, the very beginning of learning to trust uh, is simply learning to be still uh, before him. Uh, the phrase waiting in silence there is just one word uh, in the original, it, and it's not, it's not some fatalistic uh, resignation, uh, like, you know, whatever happens is going to happen. Uh, but it's a posture toward God that is willing uh, to give him everything and that has determined to take whatever he gives. So another way to put it is that if you want to learn to trust God, uh, you actually have to start trusting him. It's not something that is learned uh, by examination under a microscope. Uh, it is discovered through experience. So before David even mentions the issues of verses 3 and 4, he begins uh, by giving himself over uh, to his God. He doesn't bargue, bargain with him. He doesn't offer uh, any arguments. He begins uh, with nothing to say. Uh, he is there uh, to be present before God and listen. So implied in waiting in silence uh, is the second thing that he learned. Uh, David learned that trusting God is a, is a process. In other words, uh, trusting God's not like a light switch uh, that you just turn on and off. That It is like a skill uh, that develops over time. And like any process, it takes practice. You probably noticed the repetition in verses 5 and 6. Uh, they say almost exactly the same thing as verses uh, 1 and 2. But the second time, uh, instead of describing his waiting, uh, David actually tells his soul uh, to wait. Uh, he's practicing. And it shouldn't surprise us that as David rehearses these things, uh, his confidence uh, begins to grow. Uh, in verse 2, he declared uh, that he would not be greatly shaken. Uh, you might push me around a little bit. I might waver from time to time. Uh, but with God, I'm still safe. But when you get to verse 6, 
Uh, there is no wavering, and David says that he will not be shaken at all. Uh, trusting God takes time, uh, but it does uh, get easier. It gets easier as God works in you new desires, as you have more and more experiences of him actually coming through for you, and as more and more of your own uh, Fort Pulaski's have their walls caved in, uh, you learn to lean on your only rock and refuge. Uh, David's confidence grows so much that in verse 8, he's now turned to actually telling others uh, that they need to trust God. See, he knows that what's true for the king uh, is true for the people. And so he says, God is a refuge uh, for us. He's the God to whom you can pour out uh, your heart. You see, this is the flip side of waiting in silence. Uh, Bearing uh, our souls to God because we've learned uh, that he cares for us, that he listens, that he intervenes. Whatever is on your heart or mind, whatever it is that's made you scared, uh, whatever it is uh, that is burdening you or hurting you, you can bring these things to him. This is a glorious uh, invitation that the God who made the heavens and the earth wants us to bear our souls to him. There's a tendency to want to hide uh, our griefs uh, and our weaknesses, uh, but with God, we can be our true selves because he's our refuge. And you may think, I imagine some of you are thinking, well, God, you know, as far as I can tell, he has let me down. He's not really shown himself trustworthy to me. I know some of you have uh, experienced terrible suffering, and even if you haven't, you know others uh, that have, and you might wonder, well, why did God allow this? And is there any reason to think that he won't let it happen again? Well, David, he, he learned to trust God by waiting in silence, and he learned to see it as a process. But lastly, uh, David learned to trust God by considering uh, the alternatives. You, know, you may not want to trust God today, but you need to consider uh, what the real options are. Uh, specifically, David zeroes in and says he can't trust men and he can't trust money. Uh, These are both good things uh, given to us by God, uh, but they can't be the kind of things that we count on. There's an artist named uh, Ben Harper. I don't know if he's cool anymore, but I thought he was cool like 20 years ago, I guess. Uh, But Ben Harper has a song called Ashes, and he says, Meeting is such sweet sorrow, because someday we may have to part. Hush, don't you make a sound. You're going to let me down. Uh, The sort of sad point uh, that Harper had learned is that people always disappoint. And for no other reason, they simply don't last uh, forever. People can't stand uh, as your rock uh, and your refuge. And David's point here in verse 9 when he says men of low estate and men of high estate is that when they're put on the scale... Everyone is weightless. All kinds of people and all of the people. Uh, They're weightless. There's nothing there 
to provide the kind of refuge that you need and that you want. And verse 10 is similar, except this time it's with wealth. Uh, It's with your stuff. Uh, No matter how much you get, uh, whether illegally or through legitimate means, uh, you cannot pour out your heart to wealth. I mean, what is more fleeting than wealth? If, if you're over 30, uh, you've been affected by the housing crash from 10 years ago. Uh, most of you remember the tech boom and then crash of the early 2000s, and there, there's going to be more. Uh, whatever it is that you accumulate, it won't be enough uh, for your heart. Your heart uh, is so much deeper It's so much more profound, and honestly, it is so much more needy. You need the God that you can trust. Your heart needs a God who will never disappoint. And he he may not do what you would have done, but like a good father, he always does what's right for you. This is actually what, this is what verse 12 is about. Depending on your your perspective, verse 12 might seem like an abrupt bit of bad news here at the end of the psalm. Uh, But we need to see it as good news. It was a comfort to David to simply know that God would always do the right thing. Not because he's confident in himself, but because he knew he could turn to God and plead for mercy. He could ask him uh, for refuge. Men would let him down. Uh, Money uh, would never be able to keep its promises, uh, but God would be his rock. God alone uh, is trustworthy, and he's truly uh, trustworthy. There's nothing more certain than the God who is our refuge, and you can set all your hopes on him, and you can pour out your heart to him. He will always be who he is and do what he's promised and show mercy to the contrite. He is not just the source of love. He loves the world that he made. And that means he loves you. He doesn't just forgive people. He loves to forgive. And he loves to forgive you. But what about when you don't trust God? Well, you need to ask him uh, for forgiveness and trust that he will surely give it. But am I really saved? Uh, What if I don't trust God enough? Uh, What if God doesn't count me as one of his people? Well, then you can turn to him and ask him for forgiveness for Christ's sake. You can put all of your trust in him. He will never turn away. Those who plead for mercy. It is, it is unthinkable that he would turn away someone asking for the very thing uh, that he sent his son uh, to provide. So I want to make sure that we understand how Jesus uh, brings this psalm into the present. Of course, Jesus, uh, he read uh, Psalm 62. Uh, Jesus, he needed to trust God far greater, to far greater depths than David ever uh, really knew. Uh, Jesus' enemy and accuser uh, was greater and had more power than David's enemies. 
Jesus' earthly opponents uh, had the ear of the religious in his day. And through all of it, Jesus waited uh, in silence for God alone. And over and over, both up to the cross and through the cross, Jesus found the Father more than trustworthy. God raised him up from the dead and defeated all of his enemies. And now, like David, but so much greater, who God is for Jesus, he is for all of those who are found in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that these things are true. That you are our rock and refuge and fortress. Uh, We pray that you would help us uh, to believe these things. We pray that you would help us to find and experience uh, the rest that you promise here. Pray that you would help us to rehearse these things over and over again. And that we would be quick to repent when we don't trust you and know that our only hope is to simply turn to you again and again, the God who's the very source of all power and all love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.